This is Nemeth Asate Motha for NEJM Catalyst. I'm speaking today with Dr. Matt Pollard, the Vice President of Continuous Improvement at Intermountain Healthcare in Salt Lake City, Utah. As VP of Continuous Improvement, Dr. Pollard is responsible for engaging staff, leaders, and physicians throughout the organization to improve the value provided to patients and members. He also oversees the deployment of the Intermountain mo Operating Model, which we will also discuss today. We will be discussing innovative approaches to improvement in Intermountain, an innovative healthcare delivery system that has really been a leader in quality and process improvement for decades. As we all know, disciplined approaches and scalable tactics and tools are integral to high-functioning health systems committed to improving outcomes. Thanks for joining us today, Matt. Our audience will benefit from hearing your insights. Uh, thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure for me to join you. Let's start by setting some context. There are a lot of different terms that are used differently by different people when discussing their organization's efforts to provide better care. Help us understand a framework and a taxonomy that we can use to organize terms like continuous improvement versus quality improvement versus process improvement. People talk about PDSA and lean and learning health systems. What, how do we think about all these terms in relation to each other? And what are some of the misconceptions out there about how these concepts can be, can be used in real-world settings? That's really a great question to get things started. And I think it's important to understand where all of this started. You know, we could talk about the history of continuous improvement in our country and in Japan, which we don't really have time for. But what we have decided at Intermountain Healthcare is that whether it is lean or Six Sigma or theory of constraints or TPM or Scrum or Agile, you know, the list goes on and on. Really anything that helps us improve care for our patients is what we seek after. And so what we have done is combined all of this into what we call the Intermountain Operating Model, one model that provides a framework upon which we can build a foundation of improvement regardless of your setting. You could be in a clinical setting or you can be in human resources or even legal department, um, our insurance arm. It doesn't matter. Everyone is using the same operating model. And I think that's really one thing that can set us apart as an organization. And really what we're trying to accomplish with this is that we want to create a culture, a culture where everybody knows exactly what they're doing every day and how it contributes to the overall success of the organization, which is really, at the end of the day, providing great care to patients. And we differentiate ourselves from other types of um, implementations of continuous improvement or lean in that we're really, we use projects to help create value for the patients, but for us, it's about culture, and it, it's about creating problem solvers uh, and empowering our frontline teams, our patient-facing teams in improving the work every single day. I want to come back to this, this very important uh, concept of, of the role of culture, but let me go back to this taxonomy question for a second first to clarify. So. When, we, when you talk about PDSA or Lean or Six Sigma, they, can we, is it fair to say that they are tools that are used to realize a larger aim of creating, creating an organization that is continuously learning and improving? 
Yeah, I think you're accurate with that. And, you know, in particular, Six Sigma, um, and, you know, some of these other tools, they, they really excel at breaking processes down, um, improving flow, eliminating waste, reducing variation. The, the, these are not new concepts, right? But the, I think the biggest difference is that with Lean, or really what we're trying to do with continuous improvement, is it's not a team of experts that comes in and improves the work in a given area, but rather we're working with the team where the work is happening, and we're helping them to improve their own work as opposed to the experts that come in and save the day and then turn their focus on something else. We think that although this can sometimes be a, a slower way to progress across the organization, uh, ultimately we get greater gains because we're empowering the entire organization to be problem solvers. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense, and let's, let's make it real. So let's talk through some examples of, of how uh, the operating model has, has, has been applied, uh, how the, the role of, of culture and creating problem solve, solvers has, has, has come into to play, as well as this, this last comment of yours of, of, of not having the, the experts come in and, and impose a solution as opposed to really having people uh, create, it, create it themselves. I can give a great example, and that's, uh, you know, our, our operating model is broken down into seven key systems, and one of those systems is daily improvement. What we're trying to do with our caregivers, which is what we call our employees, is we want to empower them to recognize problems and to solve them with their teams. So we have idea systems, and this is different than a suggestion box, but we have idea systems where when a caregiver recognizes a problem and they are thinking of a solution, they work on solving that problem with their teams by submitting their idea to their local idea board or idea system and they then tackle it together as a team. We have about 39,000 caregivers in our organization and last year we implemented 54,000 ideas across the system. And so what this tells us is that not only are our caregivers excited about improving the work. They, they want to improve the work for their patients. They see the benefit of coming together as teams and rooting out the waste in their processes and solving it themselves instead of someone else coming in and telling them exactly how to solve their problems. I, I want to reemphasize 54,000 ideas have been implemented. That is a lot of ideas. Give us some examples of of the range. Give us a range of what some of these uh, what some of these ideas have been. Yeah, th I really love this question because there are so many great examples. This can range from uh, something simple that we're we're trying to overcome. I call them pebbles in your shoes. What are the pebbles in your shoes that you see every day when you come to work? So we had one surgeon who several years ago when we started this initiative said to me, hey, you're the improvement guy. Get a badge reader installed on the back of the hospital from the physician's lot so I can get into the hospital after hours. A totally legitimate problem, right? He's trying to just do his work, couldn't do it because he didn't have a badge reader, so we got a badge reader installed the next day. I took a picture of it and I, you know, I texted it to him and I said, here you go, here's your badge reader. What other great ideas do you have? And then 
they, they realize that you really do care and that you're listening to them, you care about their ideas, and it's so much easier to then go back to them and say, what else do we want to work on? Is there anything clinical that you would like to work on, such as a group of OBGYNs who were uh, themselves sorting through their doctor preference cards, their DPC cards in the operating room, and realized that they had more than 30 DPC cards for performing a tubal ligation. And mm. on their own, they whittled it down to two DPCs. The hospital didn't ask them to do this. It was an administration. They recognized that this is something that they could do on their own, and they did it on their own with really minimal support from the continuous improvement team. So the range of ideas um, is really broad, and we, we try to, to say that no idea is a bad idea um, and that even complex ideas can be broken down in, into smaller bite-sized pieces. We can almost always do something to help the caregiver feel empowered and to improve the work each and every day. Part of, of this OBGYN example really supports the notion that it is, part, it is about the culture. There is a culture that, uh, that allows for people to be motivated to make improvements that lead to, to better care for, for patients and, and improved experiences for themselves. What's the secret sauce? How have you built that? Yeah, yeah I really like uh, Chip and Dan Heath's book called Switch. And in that book, there's a quote that I actually use in presentations when I'm talking with physicians, both at our organization and uh, with physicians across the country, and that it's, it's not always resistance that we're getting from physicians or any other caregiver for that matter but rather it can just be lack of clarity. How can I recognize a problem and implement an idea? What we've done is we've created a system where any one of us, any one of the 39,000 caregivers can see a problem and with their local teams uh, work on that problem together. We're empowering them. I think that's the secret sauce. And I think really understanding that I, you know, I really don't know a physician that does not want to improve care for their patients. That's just what we want to do. It's the same with caregivers everywhere. No one shows up to work every day to do a poor job. Mm -hmm. And if we can just provide a way for them to do this work, they'll engage with it. And once they feel like they have some freedom to solve their problems, they'll continue to, uh, to do so with their teams. What have been some of the challenges in operationalizing the operating model? You know, one of our biggest challenges is just the size of our organization. We chose to implement continuous improvement across our entire organization in a very brief time frame. We had parts of our organization that were running pilots of uh, continuous improvement, but we decided that we wanted to start with huddles, huddle boards, and idea systems everywhere and did so across our entire organization in about uh, 15 months, 15 to 18 months. So just the size and scope of the organization was a challenge, but we just broke it off into bite-sized pieces. One of the biggest challenges, frankly, that we have right now is how do we integrate best practices across the system? And I think that this is true for every healthcare organization. If we're doing something well in one part of the organization, if we're able to have, if we're able to root out collapses and caudies or retain foreign objects in one part of the organization, 
why can we not do that everywhere in the organization? How do we take those best practices and export them and, and pull them in? So that's something that we're actually going to be working on over the next 12 months is having the Intermountain operating model support our quality management system and really getting rid of these defects once and for all. That's, that's a challenge because of size and scope, but something that we think is a great opportunity for us. And we look forward to having that phase two conversation uh, next year when, uh, when you all are, are further along. Let me close by asking one, uh, one last uh, question. For organizations that are just beginning uh, on, this, on this path towards evolving towards a culture of, of continuous improvement, what are some guiding principles they should, uh, should keep in mind? You know, I, I think it's important for them to realize that you can't do all this at once. It really is about baby steps. For us in our organization, it was very helpful to have some outside experience. We have those that have come from the automotive industry, um, other manufacturing settings where really these ideas of quality and, you know, such as the Toyota production system, et cetera, they were trained by some of these original thinkers, and bringing some of them into our organization has been very refreshing. We do a lot of benchmarking. As a matter of fact, today I'm just leaving a factory in or a plant in southern Idaho where they process potatoes and turn them into yummy french fries and, and the such. And we learned a lot by spending some time with them, and we invite them across the street to the hospital. We're always a learning organization, and that's I think a guiding principle that should hold true for anybody and everybody. We, we all have so much to learn from each other. Having a daily management system, something like our operating model, is crucial. And creating culture and not just having projects is a very crucial piece of what we are trying to accomplish. And then I guess I would say finally, uh, be purposeful about engaging senior leaders and physicians. Have a plan. As a matter of fact, if this comes from senior leaders, all, all the better. But be very deliberate and purposeful about how you're going to engage physicians. How are we going to get 100% participation? We have a long way to go here at Intermountain Healthcare. So many opportunities to improve, but we're excited about what we've established thus far. Dr. Pollard, thank you so much for speaking with NEJM Catalyst today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. I've really enjoyed our conversation.